1956, shortly after getting married, Johnny Cash wrote a song laying out his pledge of devotion to his wife. And the title of the song is, I Walk the Line. I want to read you a few lines from the song. He says, I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds. Because you're mine, I walk the line. And basically what he's saying is, because I have my wife, I have this relationship, you know, I walk the line. I want to pay attention to my heart, my life, because of this love and relationship I have with this woman. And, uh, you know, I think about what it looks like to walk out the gospel, live out your faith in Jesus Christ. I think this phrase coined by Johnny Cash is a good one. You know, that repeated phrase throughout his song, because you're mine, I walk the line. Because I'm accepted by God through Jesus Christ, I can live for God. I don't live for God so that I'm accepted by God, but my obedience and my life flows out of being accepted by God. Or as one pastor has said, you know, I obey because I'm accepted. I don't, I'm not accepted because I obey. You know, I obey because I'm accepted. It flows out of my relationship with Christ. Or as Cash would say, and because you're mine, I walk the line. Now, this should be true of all of us, right? I mean, if we're in Christ, and that's our hope. That's our desire. We want to live life so that the world can see that I follow Christ. That's what we want. But we all know that doesn't always happen. You know, there are inconsistencies and you know we we do things and we act certain ways that are inconsistent with our belief and what we say we believe in the gospel in other words there are sometimes that we you know we don't walk the line we're not in line with the gospel and so what do you call a person who says they believe one thing and then they live out some other thing well, we call that person a hypocrite right a hypocrite is someone who acts a certain way over here, and then they may act differently over here. They say they believe one thing, but they act inconsistent with that belief, and they act a different way. You know, we call that hypocrisy. And actually, and you probably heard this, this is a uh, charge that's levied against the church often. When you ask people, you know, why, why don't you not attend a church, or why are you not involved in a church family? And they say, well, the church is full of hypocrites. And in some, I mean, in some degree, that's true, right? Because the reason we are part of a church, the reason we are in Christ, is because we admit that we have inconsistencies. <laughs> we are broken people in need of God's grace and forgiveness. And so we gather here, united by this bond that we're all saved by grace in Christ alone. So it doesn't surprise us when there's inconsistency here and there. I mean, we, we see that. However, I think we're all troubled by the fact that sometimes the church is known for its hypocrisy. That's not a good thing, right? We don't want to be known for our inconsistency. Rather, we are to be known by our love. And what that looks like, I believe, is that when inconsistency, when hypocrisy happens, when we act in ways that are not in line with the gospel, we admit that. We confess our sin. We ask for forgiveness. We seek reconciliation. 
And so though the church is not a perfect people, we should be a repentant people. And so that shows the world that yes, there's inconsistency at times, but we seek forgiveness and we confess, our, we admit our inconsistency. And so although there are times when we don't walk the line of the gospel, sometimes the church can, be, can become known for that. And that's something we want to try to avoid. And so what should you do? What should you do if you find yourself walking out of line with the gospel? Or what should you do if you see a brother or sister in Christ walking out of line with the gospel? How should we respond to that? Well, in Galatians chapter 2, we have an example par excellence on how to deal with hypocrisy or inconsistency within the church. Look with me at Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. We'll begin there. And I'm going to be reading from the message translation this morning. I love the way Eugene Peterson captures the meaning of the text in his paraphrase. And in verses 11 through 13, this is, this is what we read. Later, when Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. Here's the situation. Earlier, before certain persons had come from James, Peter regularly ate with non-Jews. But when that conservative group came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. That's how fearful he was of this Jewish conservative clique that's been pushing the old system of circumcision. Unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in Antioch, in the Antioch church joined in that hypocrisy so that, so that even Barnabas was swept along in the charade. And so one thing we see here, right off the bat, is that no one is immune to inconsistency. It's the Apostle Peter. Apostle Peter, Barnabas. Inconsistent. They walked out of line with the gospel. And so in Antioch, we see both of these pillars of the church step out of line with the gospel. Now you may be saying, Ron, I mean, what's the big deal? They were eating with one group of people. Another group came in. They decided they want to go join them for the meal. What's, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal was that within that time, in that church and in the surrounding churches, there was this idea that in order to be a Christian, in order to be right with God, acceptable to God, you had to have faith in Jesus Christ, plus you needed to obey the Old Testament law and customs. This was a teaching that was threatening the unity of the church and the purity of the gospel. And so, Peter, he's in Antioch, which is a non-Jewish church, okay? So you have a church in Antioch that is multicultural, and yet everyone's sitting around the meal table, including Peter himself, believing that salvation, a right relationship with God, is by faith alone and Christ alone. And they are all glued together in unity because of Christ. And they're enjoying the meal together. So Peter in his action by eating with the non-Jewish brethren in Christ is 
visibly demonstrating that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So you have this beautiful picture of unity. Although there's diversity in culture, there's this unity. These people are just glued together by the gospel. But then, messengers come in from, supposedly sent from James. Okay, these were Jewish Christians sent by James, supposedly. They come into Antioch. And just imagine, you're sitting there at the meal table with Peter, enjoying conversation, a meal, perhaps talking about Christ, you know, what was it like walking with Christ? And then they come in, these, these other guys come in, and then Peter, mid-sentence, mid-meal, picks up his food tray and just leaves you and goes over there and sits with them. Now, how, what, what would be going through your mind? Well, you would probably be thinking, you know, we, there, there's some difference here. You know, we must be you know, some type of second class citizen in the church because Peter is showing preference, showing partiality by getting up and going and eating with them. In other words, salvation through Christ is right and good, but it looks like you also need to be Jewish in order to be part of the varsity team because... We're non-Jews and all we have is faith in Christ and it looks like we're junior varsity. They're the varsity. We're the junior varsity. At least that's the way it looks. So when Peter made that move in Antioch, Peter stepped out of line with the gospel. And through his actions, he visibly affirmed a false idea of what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be saved by faith in Christ. And so what does Peter need in order to be reoriented to gospel living, which even just saying that sounds strange, doesn't it? <laughs> the apostle, what does the apostle Peter need in order to be reoriented to gospel living? It's probably easier for us to ask, what do we need? What, what do you need in your life when you act inconsistently with the gospel, inconsistently with following Jesus? What do you need in order to be reoriented to be a follower? Or to follow Christ consistently. Well, in verses 14 through 21, I think we see two things that we need in order for us to be reoriented. The first is that we must be confronted with our inconsistency. And the second is that we must be reminded of the gospel. So let's first look at how Peter was confronted with his inconsistency. In verse 14, this is what Paul writes. He says, But when I saw that they were not maintaining a steady, straight course according to the message, meaning the gospel here, I spoke up to Peter in front of them all. So perhaps an awkward moment at the dinner table, but we have a public rebuke and confrontation with Peter in front of all of his friends from Jerusalem and then all the Christians here in Antioch that are gathered for this meal. And this is what he says to Peter. If you, a Jew, live like a non-Jew when you're not being observed by the watchdogs from Jerusalem, what right do you have to require non-Jews to conform to Jewish customs just to make a favorable impression on your old Jewish cronies? And this is what he's saying. Peter, 
before they came in, you were acting like a non-Jew. Even though you were a Jew, culturally Jewish, you were acting like a non-Jew. In other words, you realize and you embrace and you believe salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone. You believe that. You demonstrate it. You're eating with everybody. But then when they came in, you gave some type of priority to being Jewish. And so now you're confusing everybody. Is it through faith alone that we are accepted by God? Or do we have to be culturally Jewish as well? You're sending a mixed message is what Paul's saying. So he's confronting his inconsistency with the gospel. And you know, when we, when we act inconsistently with being a follower of Christ, we need to be confronted with our sin. We need to be confronted with our inconsistency. Now there's two ways that this usually happens. One way... It happens internally. And you all have probably experienced this. Where God just puts His finger on your heart and shows you the sin in your life. He just shows you, Ron, in this area, this way, this act, you are acting inconsistently with being a follower of Jesus Christ. And so there's that internal conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we've experienced that. And that's how God works. But he also works in another way. And that is, he uses others. He uses our brothers and sisters in Christ to say, you know, Ron, this area of your life doesn't seem to be lining up with what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Have you ever had anybody point that out to you? I've had that in my life. People say, you know, Ron, I know you love Jesus, but this area, it just doesn't seem to be aligning with what you believe. And so God often uses each other, our, the church, brothers and sisters in Christ to say, you know, this area is out of line with the gospel. Now, when Paul, just think about this. Now, you're sitting in Antioch. The apostle Peter is there, comes to visit the church. He gets up and moves tables. Paul could have easily rationalized the situation. Well, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure Peter didn't mean anything by it. Um, this is probably just a one-time thing. Peter, he's just being Peter. You know. But that's not what Paul did. Paul, he sees that Peter's actions... Now, now listen to this. This is important. Peter's not just doing something that Paul doesn't like. And then Paul makes us think about it. That's not what's happening here. What Paul sees is that Peter's actions are threatening the unity of the church and the integrity of the gospel. Paul sees that what Peter has just done is threatening the unity of the non-Jewish and Jewish believers and the integrity of the gospel itself. And so therefore, he confronts Peter. He actually does something that is the most loving thing to do. And that is to tell Peter... His, incons- his inconsistency. And so think about yourself. What, what is your life communicating? Is your life communicating the gospel? Is it communicating truth, love, forgiveness, grace, mercy, holiness? Or is your life communicating error, hate, Entitlement, bitterness, 
and selfishness? You know, are you walking in the path that is illumined by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or are you walking down a path of darkness that's out of line with the gospel? You know, if you see your brother or sister walking out of line with the gospel, the most loving thing you can do is to talk with them about their behavior. You just think of it like this. Let's say we decide to have a meal together in the social hall, our church, the Hill Baptist Church. We're going to come together in the social hall for a a wonderful meal, fellowship, have a good time together. And uh, everybody's about to take their seat. And then you look over to the beverage area and you see a lady, she's uh, pouring something into the sweet tea, which you know we have to have sweet tea, right? It's a kind of a covered dish type thing, so sweet tea is implied. So she's pouring something into sweet tea, and it, she look, it looks kind of suspicious, so you make your way over there, because you're very, you know, you're a connoisseur of sweet tea, so you know, don't mess with my sweet tea. So you're wondering, okay, what's happening here? And so you ask her, what are you, what are you doing? And she says, well, I have this flavoring that I like in my sweet tea, and, um, you know, I poured it in there. I think everybody, I think it'll be good. And then you say, well, what, what type of flavoring is it? And she says, well, it's called HPC. I say, well, okay. Well, it just so happens, you're like, uh, you know, your hobby is to know about flavorings. I mean, you're, you're a scholar on flavorings. You read all the medical journals associated with flavorings. I mean, this is your, kind of your thing. And so you kind of have an idea of what flavorings are, what they do to your body and everything like that. Well, you know that the flavoring she poured in your sweet tea, HPC, if you drink it, it causes cancer. Medical fact. You know that. And she just poured it in the sweet tea. Now, everybody's you know, got their food. They're about to line up to get some sweet tea, you know. So what are you going to do? Well, you could say, well, you know, just a little bit. It's not going to really hurt anybody, you know. Or you may say, well, you know, if she likes it that way, who am I to say anything about it? Or you may say, this is just going to be awkward if I say something. Everybody's got their meal. It's hot. If I say something, no one's going to be able to drink the sweet tea. And then, you know, we're going to drink water. It's just going to be awkward. Oh, no, you're not going to say that, are you? You know what you're going to do. You're going to say, um, we're not going to drink the sweet tea. And here's why. Because one, I don't want you to be hurt by it. And I don't want the church to be hurt by it. In other words, your motivation in stopping everyone from drinking the tea is to say, I care about you personally, individually. I want you, I don't want you to be hurt by this. But I also care about the church. And I don't want the church as a whole to be hurt by this. And you see, if we see folks walking out of line with the gospel, even though sometimes it may be difficult, sometimes it may be hard, the most loving thing we can do is to talk with them about their behavior. Because it not only hurts them, because they're not experiencing God the way they could be, but also it hurts the body, the church as a whole. Because this HPC flavoring is the hypocrisy that Paul is confronting in this passage. And if, you know, if we allow and see behavior continually going on in the church, what it does is it flavors the church. 
And then it shows a watching world a false message of what the gospel really is. And this leads us to our second point. You know, when you and I act inconsistently, what do we need? Well, on the one hand, we just saw we need to be confronted with our inconsistency. And God's faithful to do that, whether it be through His Holy Spirit internally or by bringing someone in our life to point it out. But we also need to be not only confronted with our inconsistency, but we must be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look with me at Paul's response to Peter, beginning in verse 15. He says, We Jews know that we have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule-keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? We tried it. And we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not trying to be good. So So Paul just reminds Peter, the way we are accepted by God is not through law keeping, or culture keeping. But it's by what Jesus has done for us. Through his life. His death. His resurrection. On the cross. It's only through Christ. That we are acceptable to God. And so when, whenever we talk to someone about their inconsistency. We, we have to bring it back to that foundational truth. That we are accepted by God. Because of what Christ has done. Not because of how good you are. How bad you are. It's only through the goodness and work of Christ. That you are accepted. And second, second of all, when we approach someone with their inconsistency, we need to do so through a position of humility. And we see Paul doing that in the next few verses, verses 17 through 18. He says, have some of you noticed that we are not yet perfect? No great surprise, right? And are you ready to make the accusation that since people like me, who go through Christ in order to get things right with God, aren't perfectly virtuous... Christ must therefore be an accessory to sin. The accusation is frivolous. If I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. I would be acting as a charlatan. So what what Paul is saying here is, though we as Christians are a forgiving or a forgiven people, that doesn't necessarily we are going to mean that we're going to be a perfect people. And when I sin or when I act inconsistently, you can't blame Christ for that. I'm to blame for that. But at the same time, if you think that I'm acceptable to God because of the good things I've done, then I'm just simply rebuilding the barn that I just tore down. This old way of life. This old way of thinking that I could reach God on my own by being a great person and obeying certain laws. He says, that is not what the gospel is. The gospel is Christ Paid for my sin. Christ is the way of salvation. And so from a position of humility, Paul says, I'm not perfect, but I do know this, that I come to God through Christ and Christ alone. And then Paul turns his attention and he shares a little bit more of his personal testimony in verses 19 through 21, when he says, what actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how, 
and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with Him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me, and I'm not going back on that. It's not clear enough to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God. I refuse to do that. To repudiate God's grace, if a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. So Paul, he's kind of strong, but he's just saying personally, Peter, this is what I've experienced. You've experienced this as well. And so because of the truth of the gospel, that Christ's death and resurrection, that's how we come to God is through faith in what He has done. Let us not put forward to the public, the church and the watching world, that somehow you can get to God in some other way. So Paul confronts Peter in his inconsistency, and then he reminds Peter of the gospel. And that's what we need. We need to be confronted by the gospel on a regular basis. And we need to help one another walk in line with the gospel. And as a church, you know, we should want to reflect the goodness of God in Christ and what Christ has done as much as possible in our lives, in our relationship. And we should desire to, to walk in line with the gospel. So ask yourself this question. Is your life in line with the gospel? Is your marriage in line with the gospel? Is your parenting in line with the gospel? Is your career in line with the gospel? Is your, are your relationships in line with the gospel? I mean, this is, these are the questions we need to be asking. Because it's not only through the words that we use, but the life we live that we show one another and the world watching what Christianity is all about. And so can you say with Paul that the life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And can you say with the psalmist in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, can you say this? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That is what we should be asking the Lord to do. Show me God. Whether it's just through your Holy Spirit internally, show me if I'm inconsistent. Or bring people into my life to show me ways that I'm being inconsistent. Because I do not want to preach a false gospel with my life. And if this is your prayer, would you join me as I pray and go before the Let us go before the Lord together and just ask the Lord, will you search us, God? And will you make us the people you want us to be? Let us pray. God, we come to you. And some of us may even have hesitation to ask you, would you search me, God? Know my thoughts. Is there anything in my life that's just not consistent with what a follower of Christ should look like? Is there anything in my life that is preaching a false gospel? God, show us. 
Give us the desire and the motivation to seek You by faith. Help us to realize that we are accepted because of what Christ has done, not because of what we do. Help us to live out of our our acceptance and our relationship with You by the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that helps people see Christ clearly. Would You do that in our lives, God? In Jesus' name, Amen.